Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Property, I'm Peter Switzer. On tonight's program we investigate whether investing in real estate investment trusts or REITs is a sensible long-term play. This is especially so with office and retail REITs under pressure because of Victoria's lockdown, employees working from home and more and more of us are buying stuff online rather than going to the shopping retail precincts where we always used to go. We talked to the Senior Vice President at Brookfield Asset Management, Leonie Wilkerson, about why they like office and retail buildings right now. And then the CEO of Centuria Capital Group, John McBain, gives us his company's current play in the real estate space. And finally, Tony Bean, the MD of Howes, tells us how home renovations are going in this coronavirus-infected economy. So without any further ado, let's catch up with Leonie Wilkerson from Brookfield. Well, the coronavirus has affected a lot of asset markets and a lot of people and a lot of issues that we uh, have to deal with on a day to day basis. But uh, one area that has been affected is real estate and uh, an international company that has been you know, getting into Australian real estate for some time is uh, Brookfield Asset Management. And we're talking to the Senior Vice President of Real Estate, Leonie Wilkerson. Thanks for joining us, Leonie. Thank you very much, Peter. Now, a lot of people would have heard the name Brookfield mentioned in many really hot business stories over the last few years, but give us a bit of a, a history, a bit of a summary of what Brookfield Asset Management is. Of course, thank you. Brookfield Asset Management is a global asset management firm, which is active all around the world with waiting to real asset classes. So for, the, for us, that's real estate infrastructure, private equity, and we also have a very large credit arm. So that enables us to invest on behalf of our balance sheet and third party clients into investments all around the world with a weighting towards an operations oriented approach. Yeah, and headquarters is in Toronto. Does that make, mean that Brookfield is a wonderful Canadian company? I think Canadians are very well liked all around the world. So I, I think it does help. Um, and. Australia has a lot in common with Canada across a range of areas. Um, so I think the alignment's very good. We're very active in many developed economies all around the world and more broadly than that into developing economies. Okay, so tell us about what you guys have been doing in real estate in Australia over the last few years. We've been really active. We've been present in Australia since 2007. Brookfield entered the market through the acquisition of Multiplex. And in more recent years, we have transitioned the business to be aligned with the global Brookfield asset management model. And what that means is that we have a very explicit asset management arm, and then we have a series of portfolio operating companies that help us achieve our investment objectives for all of our stakeholders. So. Over the last couple of years, we've been particularly active. Last year, we had one of our busiest years in Australian real estate, and we were one of the busiest real estate managers in the country, transacting $5.8 billion worth of transactions here in Australia. And that was across acquiring assets and selling assets, really in line with our philosophy, which is to buy well, create value through an operations-oriented approach, and then sell when we think we've maximised the value that we can create for those assets. So last year, what we saw was an opportunity to sell really high quality assets that we really liked and we didn't want to sell them because we didn't like them anymore. We just knew that we'd maximise the value that we could create for those and the forward looking returns for those assets weren't as 
as high as we would need for our stakeholders. And we also bought into areas in the real estate environment where we thought there was some weakness or some opportunity for us to buy well and then create value moving forward. And I guess the, the coronavirus um, has affected the value of some of the assets you're holding, but also the value of the assets that you're interested in buying. Do you, do you see this being a buying opportunity for a long-term investor like you, particularly when you think about the office space? Uh, you know, we hear all this talk about you know, less demand, people working from home and all those sorts of things. Are you guys you know, rubbing your hands together and thinking, well, there's gonna be some good long-term buying opportunities here? Absolutely. I think Brookfield is known as a somewhat contrarian investor. So we really explicitly and deliberately look for opportunities to get set when the broader investment universe is not seeking exposure to that particular part of the market. We like to be able to buy well outside of a competitive process. And so we actually do our best work in times like this when there is some market volatility and distress. We've just had this quarter, our best capital raising period ever. So we have a, a lot of dry powder ready to deploy. However, we're maintaining our discipline, we're holding our, pow our powder dry until we see opportunities emerge. What we know in Australia is that it typically takes six to 12 months post the trough of the downturn for those kinds of opportunities to emerge. We do feel cautiously optimistic that the worst impacts of the pandemic for the real estate sector were experienced during Q2 of this year. So we're looking ahead with some optimism for the market, but completely agree with you. There's been an impact on valuations across the real estate sector. So we're doing a lot of work now to understand where there are impacts on valuations that we think are disconnected from the return that we can generate from those assets going forward, using our, our active asset management to create that value. Mm. When you say active asset management, what, what does that mean? We really differentiate the way that we invest as an investor that's on the ground working with every aspect of the asset. So we have what we call a vertically integrated management platform. And what that means is that we have people working across a real estate asset, for example, at every level that you can possibly imagine from facilities management through to property management, leasing, strategic asset management, development, and then funds management, like the area that I work in, where we're thinking about how we pull all of that portfolio return um, together and share that with our stakeholders to deliver for their investment objectives. And what that means is that we're able to receive from our own colleagues at Brookfield real-time information about the performance of that asset. It's very, it's very helpful for us, and particularly in these periods where the market's volatile and there's a lot of uncertainty for the occupier in a building to call a facilities manager who is a Brookfield person, who's a colleague of mine, who I can receive direct feedback from to understand how that asset's performing, what the occupiers need to reduce their anxiety and how we can help position both our occupiers and our assets for success going forward. Hmm. So in a sense, you, you can buy a building and, and effectively renovate it and, and hold it for time and then eventually sell it at a higher price. 
that's the wonderful thing about real estate is that you can create value at the asset level through active management of the asset. At Brookfield, we do it in a very intensive way and it's really the only way that we invest. Um, we're explicitly not asset allocators. So we only buy where we, where we know and feel confident that we can create value from that investment through growing value at the operations level of the asset. Yeah. You sound like a a traditional Australian residential property buyer who buys the worst house in the best street, renovates it, sells it capital gains tax free, though you don't get capital gains tax free. It must be in our blood. <laughs> All right, now, I think that the important message is this. Okay, we know that if, if someone was trying to sell an office block now, they'll get a much lower price than last year, because as you pointed out, you were selling last year. But the thing is this, you know, investors watching this program might be thinking about REITs and REITs are, are, have been belted up a fair bit because of the coronavirus. But I guess if they copied Brookfield and, and bought during, you know, scarier times and were prepared to hold, it probably is a buying opportunity for a, a, a smaller investor as well if they're prepared to invest like Brookfield? Absolutely. At this moment taking a top-down approach to real estate in Australia. If you can buy into a real estate asset with a high quality durable income stream, it is even more attractive than it was pre-COVID. And the reason for that is the fiscal policy response all around the world has been tremendous. And as a result, we're seeing close to zero interest rates all around the world. And we expect that to be the case for, for quite some time, particularly here in Australia, where there's an explicit yield target that's very low um, that will be in place for some time. So what that means for an investor looking to create income, it's going to be very difficult to create any meaningful income from traditional bonds. And real assets generally have always played a stabilising role between bonds and equities because they provide some income, but they, they shouldn't really be achieving the same returns as equities because we do have that underlying residual value of a real asset that is a, an actual asset on a piece of land. However, they do deliver very strong income return. And when investors are looking to, to seek that yield, which we're seeing um, all around the world, it's very hard to receive it from traditional bonds. So absent needing to hold a bond exposure for liquidity reasons, um, we're seeing more and more capital coming up into the real asset space. We also feel really good about Australia. Um, Australia and the Asia-Pac region generally has performed so well coming through the pandemic and we feel good about our economic recovery compared to other parts of the world. We've always seen a lot of capital trying to get set into Australia because mathematically we pencil out as one of the best real estate investment markets in the world. At, over the long term, but we expect to see that amplified now as we're positioned well from a macroeconomic perspective compared to other developed economies. We do think a lot of that uh, demand for income will be focused on durable income that's in place for a long time to a high quality tenant. I think your, your point's exactly right, that if you don't have a long lease in place or if you have a tenant that is not as secure um, as say a government or a major corporate tenant, then there is pressure on pricing for that asset. And that's because there is pressure on net effective rents that will be received from that asset. So it's a very different um, risk adjusted return if you don't have that security and tenure of income in place. Okay, so my last question to you, Leonie, is 
all of the experts are telling all of the amateur investors the place to be is in industrial um, space. Yeah, and you know, because of the the age of Amazon and Kogan and online buying, everyone wants to be in warehousing, and that's why the Goodman Group's uh, share price is going through the roof. Yeah. But uh, they don't like well some offices. The office that you've described, most people like, you know, good quality, long term government type tenants. That's still good. But no one seems to like retail anymore. Are you guys thinking there must be some really good value in some retail uh, investments out there? Absolutely. So taking each of those sectors in turn, industrial is very popular for a lot of really good reasons. There's terrific fundamental drivers of return in the industrial sector. It's not an area we would play in at Brookfield at this moment. And the reason is because it's not one where we feel we can buy particularly well or have a competitive advantage at this moment in terms of driving value through an operations oriented approach. We're seeing as in any uh, popular asset class, there's a convergence of high quality and lower quality assets that are grouped together. And we see that every cycle in every real estate sector. And that's our view on industrial at the moment, albeit we, we like the sector, we think it will continue to perform really well. It's just not on our radar at this moment. Retail, we have a different view. Uh, we're a very long term investor and particularly here in Australia, retail is often on the very best piece of real estate in any particular market. So if we think about being able to use that real estate over the long term for, for retail and other uses as well, we really like the exposure into that sector. I think given the volatility in the sector and all of the uncertainty around retail generally, it's hard for us to look at going into that right at this moment, but it's absolutely a sector that we're watching closely here in Australia, and it's a sector that we're very focused on as a house globally. Okay, well, what about just finally commercial real estate? Yeah, we are highly convicted on commercial real estate and on the office market generally. There's been a lot of media and a lot of narrative around the future of office. We are one of the world's largest office landlords and we really wanted to take a, a leadership position in bringing our teams back into Brookfield offices, which we did as it was safe um, and as it made sense in each geography. So we started with the economies that were working their way through the pandemic in Asia, Australia came back a couple of months ago and we've progressively worked through in a slow and steady and safe way so that now all of our offices are open around the world. We believe that when people feel comfortable coming back into the office, there will be a strong movement back into the office for all of the cultural and collaborative efficiency and risk management reasons that are, are quite self-evident and the reason why people come in to the office. However, we're really pleased that working from home and working remotely has been a wonderful experience for many people and we're grateful to the technology that's allowed us to do that. We think that working from home will play a role in the office market going forward and we think it will be a supplement to the, to the general office environment. So it's going to be important for the office sector to continue to evolve and to service those changing occupier needs. So, so my final, final question, Liani, is that given what you said then and given the the predictable nature of stock markets, the day the world accepts that there is a, a workable vaccine that's going to really help normalcy return, a lot of people will say, hang on, maybe a lot more people will go back to offices again and therefore offices will be more valuable. How rational is that thinking? 
I think that's very rational. <laughs> Andy Wilkinson, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Peter. The coronavirus has affected many aspects of the economy. And one aspect that I'm interested in is home renovations. The House and Home Report for 2020 is now out. And this, even though it focuses on 2019, does have some insights on what's been going on this year as well. Tony Bean is the Managing Director of House. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Tell us about the House and Home Report. Yeah, so House is the world's biggest community, home design and renovation. One of the benefits of it, we have millions of homeowners who come to us when they're actively working on projects and looking for inspiration and professionals. So this survey is our chance to engage with them, ask them, what have you guys done over the last period? And also, what do you have planned going forward? And a few really strong things came out in the data this year, specifically that people are really active nearly half of the homeowners who completed it renovated their home in 2019. They were renovating multiple rooms at the same time as well. Okay, so obviously, you know, it's no surprise to think that 2019 was good for renovations because house prices were on the rise again. Mm. Have you been given any glimpses of what's been going on since the coronavirus came to town? Absolutely, and it was really important for us to do a litmus test to work out what's going on in both of our communities, both the home professionals as well as the community itself. We did a survey after the sort of first phase of coronavirus hit, and it was really pleasing to see that 80% of people, four out of five, were still continuing on with their projects. And those that had paused were still expecting to continue down the track. It was just the fact that they couldn't get people on site. So that was the first indicator that was really positive that there's pent up demand is still there. But also just practically people sitting at home, the traffic to our site has been really positive. And I feel a lot of it is, if you cut out a lot of that uh, income, that discretionary spend that could have gone to my big European holiday, meals out, entertainment, People are sitting with that, and if they're lucky enough to still be employed, have their jobs, all the rest, mm. there's an opportunity to invest it in the environments where they stuck 24-7. Yeah, exactly right. And I, I've been predicting that would be the case. And we might get a bit of a surprise when we see our GDP numbers uh, come out from this period. Um, has there been any uh, unusual trends that weren't around in 2019, but have shown up uh, in 2020 because people are at home? Yeah, so there's always this interlink between what's happening in the world and culture and then how does that impact design and all the rest. Now, we've had this massive trend and this push for open plan living spaces, big ceilings, all the rest. What we are seeing is people engaging and searching, which is like the leading indicator, obviously home office spaces, people looking for multifunctional areas because my living room is no longer just my living room. It might be where my kids do school. It might be where I have to exercise. And what is interesting is where you see that interlink of well, what's happened in society and how does that then flow through in terms of the design? Now, the one case that we've referenced is particularly like modernist design after tuberculosis. Mm -hmm. So you had like these big, dark, heavy spaces, massive, um, textures and dense curtains. And then after that, people realized they wanted fresh air, they wanted light, they wanted space. So this whole modernist wave in architecture and design flowed through. So it will be interesting to see how that sort of impacts. And this is a 
not even once in a lifetime, it's a once in a century event. Mm. So we're, we're looking forward to see how that sort of flows out and things going forward. Uh, tell me about the median spend in 2019. And yeah. is, there, is there any indicators that that's either getting bigger or smaller? Yeah, so it was relatively consistent. Like we've had rapid growth the last few years and it flattened out a little bit. It was relatively constant with what it was previously. Across the board, we were seeing about $20,000 from the median spend and renovations. But at the top end of town, you know, top 10% was still spending $150,000 or more on their renovations. And one of the insights in terms of our platform specifically is when you're, you know, spending six figures on anything, it's quite a considered decision-making process. So one of the integrations that we see onto our system is when you're spending $100,000 plus, it's not like, do I want a burger or a palmer at the pub, right? Like I take my time and we see people planning months and months out ahead. Like a kitchen, people will spend 11 months researching before they actually begin any work. So by the time that comes around, there's all this really strong understanding of what they want and where they want that investment to go. Tell, tell us about the, the different generations. Uh, you know, who, who are the, the big renovators? Uh, are there any changes in the trends? Yeah, so boomers are, have the cash, they've got the property. So they were the largest renovators overall. What was interesting was that even though that they have a slightly higher percentage of people on our site who were renovating, Gen Xs were definitely there and had a slightly higher median spend. So they had a higher median spend than um, the boomers and the millennials things are a little bit less active and their spend is a little bit lower but one thing that was also intuitive was that the motivations were slightly different so for the older generations a lot of the motivation was really about how do i make my space better i've had this pent-up demand and wanted to do it for so long and i'm ready to really invest at high levels because it's something i've wanted to do when with the millennials, it was much more about recent purchases, adding value, making something my own and really trying to take ownership of the new space. Obviously also um, a, a factor of the fact that property prices, it's harder to get in the market at the lower level. So people get in when they can and the stock might not be their dream exactly what they wanted to begin. How about the home builder stimulus package? Have you noticed any uh, effect on the sector because of it? So any stimulus for the industry is great from our position. What we have seen though is the timing and the thresholds to get by make it tough for everyone to engage. So like I said before, people spend months and months and months planning a big renovation. And if it's a $150,000 build or extension or renovation as part of the packages, and it's got to be locked away by December in terms of all contracts and construction to begin, that's quite tight to jam that all in. And then the other side is also some of the financial restrictions in terms of income levels. If people are at the threshold, it's unlikely that they've got that cash just sitting on hand. So our suggestion is it's been wonderful and positive and we will definitely take what we can get for the time being, but we would like to see the government look at extending it or maybe loosening some of the restrictions to give the industry and construction sector the support it so rightly deserves. How significant um, is home renovations to the overall uh, building sector? Yeah, so we don't have figures in terms of the overall sector, but from what we see, it's incredibly active. So over 50% of the people who are engaged in the survey were looking to renovate on the site. 
And there's obviously impact in terms of adding value. There's macro trends about people aging at home, staying in longer. There's also the capacity that not everyone wants to move out. They want to stay where they are and you go up or out as opposed to moving out into the peripheral suburbs. So for our professionals, it's a core part of what they do. Um, it's obviously a different level of concentration than some of the bigger, large volume builders. And um, yeah, it's, it's very, you know, it's, it's at an important time with all the COVID stuff to make sure that all these people are supported, all the subbies have work to do, and people can see a future and a prospect going forward. Tony Bean, MD of Howes, that's H-O-U-double-Z. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much. Well, it's reporting season and Centuria Capital Group recently reported, uh, which looked like a pretty good report, uh, yet the share price didn't head in the direction that the CEO would like. I'm talking to the CEO, John McBain, right now. John, good to see you. Thanks, Peter. You can't work out what the stock market would do with a, with a company, but I thought it'd be a good chance for you and me to talk about what's going on with the company. No, that's right. I mean, I, I think we concentrate on earnings for share and we can't run the totalisator agency board of uh, at the share, at the racetrack <laughs> or at the share market. No, no, no. So I think a lot of people don't understand Centura Capital. I think a lot of people have come across and understood that you guys buy buildings in one part of your business and you renovate them, you then run them for a while and eventually you sell them and people can go into this unlisted side of your business as basically unit holders and they make money that way. But the, the headstock, you often call it when we're talking, is Centura Capital Group. What does it do? Yeah, so you're correct, and I agree with your interpretation. I think people have to understand we run all these listed and unlisted property vehicles, mm. which people can invest in, yeah. but all the management fees that we earn from those vehicles come up to Centuria Capital Limited. Mm. And, and we, that's, that's why Centuria Capital Limited is the one that has quite a bit of leverage or potential because as its assets under management grow, so do its management fees. Mm. And the, the classic uh, funds management um, situation you want is your uh, fees, management fees and profits growing faster than your costs. Yeah. And we've been, we've been able to do that. Yeah. And that was part of what showed up in the report. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But once again, the, sh the share price. Now, I figured part of the reason why you know, you're, you're having some headwinds is because, well, you, you do play in the office space and there's a lot of negativity around offices going forward because everybody can work from home, apparently. Yes, no, well, well there's a lot of things in that question, but yeah, I, have no, I, I agree with you. Uh, like a lot of the other real estate platforms that are my peers, we all have carry a fair bit of office. Yeah. Um, and we, we know that it's under pressure. We think working habits will change, mm. but we haven't seen a great uh, deterioration in our rent collections. Mm. You know, we had a, a period where we had to support our tenants during the, the heart of the COVID period, and mm. we're proud of our, the way we did that. Mm. Um, but now we seem to have quite good collections. We're very hopeful uh, that we, New South Wales doesn't get affected. Mm. Uh, we're hopeful that Victoria, the conditions seem to be easing. Um, and we're exposed in New Zealand now, 25% of our assets that we manage are in New Zealand now. Mm. Um, and we were very confident when they had a 100 day clear mm. and a little bit disappointed to see them have a few outbreaks. Yeah. So why don't you explain um, to my viewers why you're 
comfortable with the office tenants that you're actually dealing with? Because it, it's really important. The mix of tenants are going to be very important mm. to ultimate profits going forward. Mm. Before I, I will, uh, just be, uh, you should understand we've got a very big industrial portfolio yep. where values are rising at the moment. Yeah. Uh, Everyone loves industrial, yeah. we know that. And, 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 no, and no one likes retail and they're a bit worried about Well, we, we forgot to buy retail, yeah. so we're, uh, we're not claiming to have a crystal ball, we just forgot to do that. Yeah. And we have uh, quite a lot of healthcare assets, mm -hmm. so, and we're concentrating hard on them, but we're maintaining our office waiting, mm -hmm. we're not getting out of office at all. Mm -hmm. I think over the last 20 years you've seen uh, the space that people occupy in their office fall from about 20 square metres per person to 10 with activity-based activity working or hot, hot desking. desking okay, right? yeah, yeah. Um, I think now, right now, if you, it, it, markets react to instantaneous news. So right now, no one wants to come back to the office because of a safe distancing. As people come back, they'll want to sit further away from each other, which actually creates a case for expanding the space required. Mm. I, don't, I just think that's a, a factor not the overall determining factor. Mm. So I think people will accept that some of their staff may work from home some days a week. Mm. Our office, we, we built a new office last year. It's capable of seating 75, 77 people. We have a staff of over 90 uh, anyway. Mm. We're not expecting them to all be there at the same time. Mm. That ratio might change slightly, mm. but I can't see us giving back a square metre. Mm. Now, I don't know whether our financial services business is typical. I think in the CBD, I'm a little bit worried about some of the very, very large professional and financial services firms who control their expenditure by cutting payroll. Mm. But most of the decentralised offices that we invest in, we're not invested in any CBD true locations, um, most of these decentralised offices are actually close to where people live. Yeah. So look, that's another factor. We'll have to let this play out. But this, is, this drama about offices over has been overplayed. And if it's nice to see some press this morning, mm. just making the case for people not really wanting to be at home all the time. Yeah. And as, as some of my friends, it's trying to take over the world from your spare room. Yeah. It might be nice when you have a dream, mm. but in reality, you won't, your profits will fall off. Yeah. Well, I, I know I interviewed the, um, uh, one of the executives from Brookfield and they, they've got the same sort of argument as you, and they're actually looking for office. Now, you, your story has been, uh, and I use a comparison for, for um, Leonie Wilkinson, that um, when she described what Brookfield does, it was like what the, the smart residential home buyer does, looks for the, the worst house in the best street, and gets the capital gain, and renovates it, and gets the capital gain over time. Now, you've done exactly the same thing in your history, is this a buying opportunity for office for you? It, it might be, but it's not at the moment. We're not seeing things that are, that are sufficiently cheap. Because yeah, last mm. time I talked to you, before the coronavirus, there wasn't, offices were expensive. And ah. you, you said, well, we're not in the buying game. No, but, it, but, but then, of course, our business is diverse. So at the headstock, we were explaining, you know, during FY20, we, we had a, a great year. We, even though we were locked up in our homes for six months, the first six months, we bought 1.2 billion of real estate. Mm including two of the three major Arnott's facilities in our industrial fund. Yep. We've recently, so for FY20, uh, we, we were, our profits were ahead of guidance and, we, and our distribution of 9.7 cents was at guidance. So you know, 
we, uh, we're very fortunate in FY20, and we've started off FY21 nicely too. Mm. We've recently bought the Telstra Data Centre in Clayton for 417 million. So, as that's long as industrial. that's industrial, yeah. and, and we've just launched a 130 million dollar healthcare fund, which looks like it'll be oversubscribed. So, there are areas you know we're managing our office portfolio. Mm. We're proud of it. Mm. Uh, we we believe in our in our story that office is uh, is not over mm. but of course people will say well of course he has to say that yeah well let, let's talk again in six months and mm. i think i'll you know it'll bear me out tell us about this augusta capital story oh, it's my favorite uh, story last time i think two times ago we were talking about were the new zealanders any different yeah. as you know you're speaking to one yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it wouldn't it wouldn't show but i know it, does it yeah. you haven't said six or fish and yeah. ships yet so <laughs> well, i've tried to avoid my that viewers don't know that <laughs> <laughs> look we we love that augusta company yeah. It's run by a couple of Is great... Is it a company like Centuria? Very much like Centuria. Okay, right in yeah. fact, it's a carbon copy for Centuria uh, in 2016-17. A couple of billion dollars of funds under management. Very well run by two guys. The largest unlisted fund uh, operator. Uh, and we're just delighted that our takeover of them has just been concluded. Now they were delisted. I think they're delisted tomorrow. And they've become a division. But like all the mergers we do... These guys are now major Centura shareholders, mm. and we're delighted to have them on our executive team. Mm. Uh, and we think New Zealand's got a lot of future. Mm. We think it might be one of the first countries that actually comes out of COVID. Mm. And I will also be delighted if the bubble gets put in place between yeah. Australia and New Zealand, yeah. because I love Australians to spend a bit more time in New Zealand. Mm. And um, you know, I'm a proud New Zealander, but you know, I've had my whole career has been in Australia, yeah. and Australia hasn't hurt me. Yeah. Certainly, um, New Zealanders love Australians going over so they can talk about rugby as well. <laughs> but uh, if you put that aside, you can have a good time in New Zealand. Yep. I've, I know it's happened to me. All right, so, so John, I think the, the, there's two other issues. Uh, I brought up the fact that you know, office is currently out of favour. But it, it is a long-term a long play office, isn't it? That, you know, if, if, mm. if the values do go down, the good stuff will eventually come through, yeah, and that's going to be a part of your exercise, picking the good stuff that, that will actually do well and the value will, will come back. Because values have been um, knocked around badly because no one knows what's going on. No, well, actually, the worst thing that's happened, to be honest, uh, the, 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 um, the share markets mm. have valued office investments through the real estate trusts 30% less than the valuers. Mm. Now, you know, we're not saying who's right, mm. We're, I'm a valuer, yeah. so uh, you know I, I do, these independent valuations. I'd think are pretty right. Yeah. They've dropped a percent or two. Yeah. They might drop another percent or two. Yeah. Um, uh, where the real, there are some other sectors where valuations have really dropped. Mm. Uh, Where's that? Things that uh, some retail, not yeah. all. Um, you know, I'm not criticising vulnerable retail shopping some, centres. Yes, and yeah. there's some very good retail operators yeah. that you'll find will make a lot of money during this cycle. Yeah. We, we're just not in that sector. Yeah. Um, healthcare is the opposite. In, in industrial. The healthcare, been, you mean the buildings that have health just services? Just the real estate. Yeah. Just the real estate. Yeah, right. And okay. I, I think in FY21, we've had a strong start. We've bought $600 million worth of assets and line of sight for another 200, which is quite a good run rate in what's supposed to be a recession. Mm. So I think, uh, you know, and we've put guidance out for this year and for distributions and, and profits. Um, so I think we can, our business is sufficiently diverse, both in terms of the sectors and now geographically. So I think we should, we're as, 
as well placed as we can be to, to provide good profits and particularly distributions. Mm. You know, uh, we're great believers in distributions. To turn the tap off of distributions for us um, makes us like other companies that we don't want to look like. Mm. Okay, so some people wouldn't understand what you mean by distribution. Dividends. Yeah, dividends. Yeah. So, yeah. so ultimately, it, you know, if someone plays the Sincura Capital Group, it's not just hoping that the share market actually changes their view on the, on the stock. There are yeah. also div dividends and distributions. Oh, absolutely. And quite a, a very, oh, I'd say it's a proud history of, 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 of consistent distributions, just dividends. Okay. One last thing, you, you often talk to me about you're not quite in the ASX 200, <laughs> but you'd like to be because it, it tends to be good for your share price, doesn't it? I think so. I, th I think uh, one, one of our investment trusts recently, an industrial one, got into the, um, into the ASX 200 index. It, it just means a new range of global investors support that stock. That stock. Because they have to, because they're, they're a fund that buys and, the top and, 200. And as your viewers would know, your index funds, which you've talked about many mm -hmm. times, mm -hmm. have, to, have to invest in you, a different range of them. Mm -hmm. I think it's good to support values and stop, stop share prices wobbling around. Mm -hmm. I think that'd be very good. In the case of the industrial one, it's in a great sector and its share price went up quite a lot. Mm. No, but so, one so can't guarantee that. So CIP, CIP is your industrial one. Yes. It got into the ASX 200 yep. and its share price. Yes, and, and, and it's the volume of shares that traded each day, mm. which is a great indicator of how popular the stock is and how well supported it yep. is. Yeah. So and I think, and that's the exciting thing about the whole Centuria Group, to be honest, from the, the parent company down. We've got a lot of room to grow up these indexes. There's not, there's not only the 200 index, there's the 100, you know, and yeah. uh, we don't want to get eyes as big as sources, mm. but you know, it's good to have a goal. Mm. One last question. Um, some of the people who watch this show uh, are believers in property. There's a lot of you know, disbelievers in pro pro property. I'm sure you must occasionally yeah. at dinner parties get people say, oh, yeah. REITs and real estate properties, they're, they're screwed, yeah. the coronavirus. What do you say to people like that? Oh, I think it's, 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 it's uh, my father had a good saying. Hmm. He, he, he wasn't a financial advisor hmm. or a valuer. Uh, he ran a furniture shop. Hmm. He used to say, son, have a third in cash, a third in property, and a third in shares. Hmm. And uh, I haven't obeyed his, his <laughs> dictate, <laughs> yeah. but I think it's up to people's personal preference. I, I don't quite agree though. Australasians mm. at a dinner party, there's almost no one there who doesn't want to invest sure. in property. That's right. But they might want unlisted property. Mm. They might want listed property. They might like healthcare. And having these extra verticals in our business, I think gives us something to offer everybody. Yeah. That's John McBain, Joint CEO of Centura Capital Group.